Hi, this is Natalie Hoffman of FlyingFreeNow.com, and you're listening to the Flying Free Podcast, a support resource for women of faith looking for hope and healing from hidden emotional and spiritual abuse. Welcome to episode 92 of the Flying Free Podcast. Today I have with me Amy Marlowe McCoy. She's a licensed professional counselor and author of the Gaslighting Recovery Workbook. Welcome, Amy, to the Flying Free Podcast. Thanks, Natalie. I'm so happy to be here today. Well, I'm excited to ask you some questions about gaslighting because I think everybody listening to this podcast has experienced gaslighting one or five million times in their life. And let's talk about it. And let's start off though, first of all, if just in case, just in case there's someone that's tuning in that's never heard of the word gaslighting before, can you tell us what that is? And also maybe give a few examples of how it might show up in a family system. Sure. So gaslighting is a term for a specific type of mental and emotional abuse in which one person tries to make the other person doubt their sanity, their experiences, their thoughts or feelings. So uh, the phrase came from a play written back in the 30s called The Gaslight. That's also been made into, I think, two different movie versions, um, the more famous of which starring Ingrid Bergman. Um, and in that movie, the, there's a husband and wife couple. The husband is out, I believe, is out to steal the wife's like, diamonds or something. And while he's rooting around looking for them, he keeps dimming the gas lights in the house. And when the wife asks what's up with the gas lights, he tells her she's going crazy. There's nothing going on with the lights. You're making it up. Um, and that's a, obviously a very overt and direct form of gaslighting where you simply tell the other person they're crazy and deny their experiences. Um, but gaslighting can also show up in a more subtle way. Um, some ways that I see it show up a lot in relationships with family members or loved ones would be making someone feel guilty when they've done nothing wrong, you know, implying that they've wounded you by standing up for themselves or by having their own opinions, um, treating you as if you're overreacting for having an emotional response to something, being blamed and shamed for being your own person or for essentially doing anything that the gaslighter doesn't approve of. Um, or retaliating for even the most minor incident or slight or offense um, that a gaslighter may go scorched earth to punish you mm. for doing something they don't approve of. Mm. So these all sound like, um, they all, it all sounds like emotional abuse. Yes. Yeah, yeah it is emotional abuse. And, and gaslighting is kind of a niche within the emotional abuse um, wheelhouse. Okay. So can you talk about who might be susceptible to being gaslit? Mm -hmm. So it's interesting. We often think of people who are susceptible to gaslighting as being people who have no sense of self or no assertiveness. And um, folks who do struggle with assertiveness can absolutely be targeted by gaslighters because they're kind of easy. Um, they don't have a lot of confidence to begin with, and it's easy for someone to come in and undermine what confidence you do have. There's also another set of people who are vulnerable to gaslighting, and that's folks who do have a good amount of self-confidence. Because for some gaslighters, they can look at that and see a target or a conquest 
And they can say, well, I don't really like that they are that proud of themselves or that they feel that good about themselves. I would rather take them down a peg. And so they will start undermining that foundation of self-confidence by making the person question themselves or doubt themselves. Interesting. And good to know, actually, because I think there are a lot of, I know a lot of the women that I work with are very strong, intelligent um, powerhouses. Mm-hmm. And yet they have lived with this crazy feeling of, and, and just constantly second guessing themselves, wondering if they really did misunderstand what the person said or really did experience it differently. Super confused. Yes. So badass in every other area of their life, but then they go home and they're just utterly baffled. Yes. Yeah. It's so confusing. And so frustrating to feel like, okay, I've got all these other areas of my life together. Why can't I figure this out? Am I lying to myself about everything? Right. That's the power of gaslighting. If if someone can make you question yourself in one area, it tends to have a ripple effect and you'll question yourself in everything. Well, and it does destroy, when I think about that movie actually that you brought up at the beginning, you know, towards the end, she does, she falls, completely falls apart. Mm-hmm. So what, and I've watched, I've watched this happen to women. Well, by the time they get to me they're they have already completely fallen apart and they don't know what to do with themselves anymore. Mm-hmm. What does that look like? Talk about the, um, tell us more about the symptoms that women might be experiencing if they're living with someone on a regular basis, who's doing this to them. Yeah. So some of the common signs and side effects that I see with my clients are overall a loss of confidence. Um, that they'll feel like they just don't trust themselves. They'll feel like they need to get a lot of external validation for whatever feelings they have. So that might look like telling the same story to six different people to ask like, am I crazy for feeling this way? What would you do in this situation? Would that bother you? Am I overreacting? Because they've lost the trust in their own instincts and their own intuition. Um, Often it can also lead to general anxiety. Because, I mean, if you can't trust your own thoughts, you can't trust yourself in any way, it's a lot harder to trust anything else in the world. Right. Um, People also frequently become really overly apologetic. So apologizing for things they don't need to apologize for, like having emotions, having an opinion, um, having a different opinion than someone else, feeling like they're imposing when they're not. Um, that that sense of like, I am, I'm wrong. I'm a mess. I'm, I can't think straight. Um, all of those gaslighting side effects can make you feel like you're just in the way, no matter what you do and can cause you to apologize a lot. Um, I also see a lot of overthinking and what, what I call analysis paralysis, where you just cannot make a decision to save your life because you're so afraid it's going to be wrong or you're going to get, um, backlash for it. So this, I mean, this completely parallels the experiences of the women that I work with. So one of the interesting nuances um, to a lot of the, these women is that they're also in religious communities that kind of, they, they contribute actually, I think to the gaslighting. So when these women actually go outside of their home to get some outside perspective and to be like, I think there's something wrong here. I don't know what it is, but, and try to get some help. They're actually, I think they're 
gaslit again by the people outside of the home. Can you talk about, um, I think you use the term flying monkeys in your book. Can you talk a little bit about how they contribute to the problem? I agree wholeheartedly. And I think that's one of the biggest shames is that um, religious communities can, whether intentionally or not, perpetrate this form of abuse on their members. Um, I know a lot of religious communities have very particular um, beliefs and expectations and um, thoughts about things like gender and men's roles and women's roles and how men and women should behave. Um, But when abuse is happening, oftentimes um, the church doesn't always know how to handle that and that can lead to them inadvertently causing even more pain. Um, or contributing to the abuse by becoming a flying monkey for the abuser. And a um, flying monkey, excuse me, that term was lifted from the movie Wizard of Oz, which I think most of us are probably familiar with. Mm -hmm. Um, In the movie, the the Wicked Witch of the West sends her flying monkeys to go get Dorothy at some point because Dorothy has not come to her. She wants those shoes, so she sends the monkeys to go get her and bring her to her. So in a relationship, a flying monkey would be someone who goes and acts on behalf of the abusive person or the controlling person. So in a family setting, if say, let's say your mother or your father is controlling or is emotionally abusive, and you finally reach the point where you're like, I can't do this anymore. I just, I love my parents, but I can't be around them because they hurt me so much. And so you decide you're going to sit out this family gathering or holiday, or you're going to take a break. And next thing you know, your brother's on the phone and he's saying like, look, you you just got to understand this is just how mom is. And you know, dad doesn't mean it. He's just, this is just what he does. You got to, you got to develop a thicker skin and let it roll off. Like you can't be bothered by this. That's your brother being a flying monkey. He's trying to pull you back into the family where you have filled a particular role. You have accepted a lot of abuse. You've put up with a lot of pain. And he's making excuses on behalf of the people who are not making any changes to their harmful behavior. Mm. That's how someone might act as a flying monkey. So painful. That's so painful for people to go through abuse in the first place, but then to have other people come in and just perpetuate the same cycle on them or try to pull them back into it as if their life is not worth being free of abuse. It's like, it's, it's such a, it's, it's sort of a soul murder in a lot of ways. It's like, well, you have to be the person who goes through this because we all say that you should be, and this is how we keep our lives. This is how we keep the system working. So take your, get back in your place. Yes. Those get in line messages. Oh my gosh. They're heartbreaking. Yeah. Okay. So, all right. What I, what I really want to get to is how to help women who are listening, who are sitting there going, this is my life Mm -hmm. and I don't know what to do. And there's two, there's kind of two things I want to look at. I want to look at, I think they want help with how they deal with the other person, either the person who's gaslighting them or the person who, or the the flying monkeys. Mm -hmm. And then also how do they deal with their internal, with all of that internal, um, drama that they've got going on as a result, like you couldn't even call it PTSD as a result of everything that's happened to them. How do they help themselves? Yes. So I am going to answer your questions kind of in reverse order, actually, because 
Um, I hear this question so often, how do I make it stop? How do I make them leave me alone? How do I make them respect, you know, that my no means no, or that my feelings are valid. And the first thing you have to do before you can set those boundaries is you have to be able to listen to yourself. You have to be able to credit your own experience and see it as valid, regardless of what anyone else says. So that begins with self-compassion and self-acceptance. And if you don't have those things, if you can't look at your own heart and say, what I feel matters, I am an important person, I have value in the world, I have worth, you're not going to be able to set those boundaries. And if you don't believe you have worth, it's going to be very hard to convince anyone else that you do. Yeah. So it begins with recognizing that you are someone who matters. Your soul matters in the universe. And then allowing that to fill you up so that you can say, hey, it's not okay to step on me. I matter too. My time and my feelings matter too. And this is not okay with me. And then what, so, okay, so, but what if they just come back? Because they're living in their pretend world, right? Where they get to define you. They get to say, now you're standing up and saying that you're someone different than how they're defining you. Of course, they're going to come back and say, you know, that's not true. And who do you think you are? And you're so screwed up in your head and you're making all of this up. And so then what, so then what? So then you need to come up with some responses that you can have prepared ahead of time. And I really encourage you to think of what I call rinse and repeat answers so that you don't have to be trying to figure this out on the fly when you're feeling flustered and stressed. So if someone says, you know, you're making this up or you're exaggerating or you're overreacting, you might come up with a simple phrase that you can repeat ad nauseum, something like, you know, I am entitled to my feelings and nobody gets to tell me that they're wrong. Or I feel how I feel. You don't have to agree with it. Or simply, if you continue to tell me my feelings are not right or not real, I will end this conversation. Oh my gosh. You know what I love about this? I love that you don't have to, because I, I think, at least from my experience, I kept thinking if one answer didn't work, then I had to come, I had to come up with something else that would, maybe that would get through to him. You know what I mean? And so I was constantly pulled into these arguments where I was, I was trying to, on the fly, come up with all of the reasons, and he always had the comeback. But it's interesting because his comebacks, or other people in my life, their comebacks are, were always the same, and yet I somehow felt like I had to come up with creative responses. Mm. But I love what you're saying. What you're saying is, no, just say the same thing over and over again, just because just that's yeah. the truth. That's where the... the, the that's where you draw the line. This is the line that I've drawn. I'm not going to go past this line. And if you keep coming up and knocking on this wall, you're going to get the same answer from me every single time. Yes. It's, you know, for those of your listeners that are um, of the Christian faith, I totally admit, I do not remember exactly where this is. I know it's in one of the gospels um, <laughs> <there's a laughs> where Jesus says, let your yes be yes. And your no be no. Yes. You don't have yep. to justify, defend, explain, rationalize. Like if you say yes, say yes. If you say no, say no. If this is okay with you, then cool. And if it's not cool, say right. no, it's okay. I love that. Okay. So do you have any other examples of, um, I, I really liked that. I think people were probably 
if I was listening, I'd be like, give me more examples of what I can say back. Um, I can't on the top of my head. I should, I should be, uh, I should be a gaslighter right now and then engage you. And then, um, you, I, I didn't, I didn't say that. What are you talking about? I never said that. Mm-hmm. What would you oh, say? That is one of the most common ones and it drives me nuts. I hate it when people do that. <laughs> but yes, you're right. It does happen a lot. Um, and I think in that case, you can say, I'm sorry that you see it differently. Or simply, I remember that differently. We have different experiences. And that's okay. That's okay. Yes. I think for me, I always thought that my, I always thought that everyone, I just assumed that everyone else was telling the truth and that their perspective was almost more valid than mine was. I think I grew up thinking that. And instead of realizing, you know what, their perspective is valid and my perspective is equally as valid. And I don't have to throw myself under the bus and my perspective under the bus just to, you know, and, and buy into everybody else's. I can, I can listen to what they're saying and then I can make a decision about whether or not I want to buy into that story. Exactly. Exactly. And I, you know what, I think you know, what you were just saying reminded me of a specific example, I think, of where unintentional or not nefarious gaslighting can occur, particularly within religious communities, where very often women especially um, are taught to be subservient, to be caring for everyone, to put themselves last. And a, a really concrete example that for whatever reason has always kind of stayed with me I remember when I was growing up, we had a little sign in our house and it said the definition of joy is putting things in the right order. Jesus, others, you. Yes. And the message was that you should always put yourself last. Yeah. It was selfish to do anything else. And I'm sure that the intention was not, you know, to, to make us feel like we could never put ourselves in the driver's seat or that we didn't matter. But the message that came from that was very much that you could not be in the lead. You always had to come last. Right. And that is devastatingly harmful. It is. And honestly, I think that one, I'm so glad you said that. There, there's a little ditty that we used to sing in Sunday school, um, which I won't sing it here in the podcast, but I know a lot of you women know what I'm talking about. And that little ditty, J-O-Y, J-O-Y, this is what it means. That little song it's, it's interesting because we, as adults, we can go, oh, well, I'm sure that's not what that means. But when you're a child and your brain is just objectively recording all of this information, and then it's turning it into this program that you actually live your life by, that is, that's how it happens. It can be as innocent as a children's Sunday school song. And now all of a sudden you're living your whole adult life as if that's reality. And it's not, and it's not, it's unhealthy. It's not true. It's maybe not what the writer of this, the little Sunday school song meant to, you know, communicate. And yet that's what, that's the result in hundred, literally hundreds of thousands of women's lives who are, um, who have faith in God and who read the Bible and, and who want to live their lives to, you know, to please God. Um, and, and they really truly do believe that they can only please God if they throw if they are regularly throwing themselves under the bus at the you know at their own expense taking care of other people at their own expense and that's not to say that we don't take care of other people or help other people at all it's just that that we're doing that on fumes 
you know, by the time we, we get into our fifties, we're doing that on fumes and we have nothing left to give because we've completely depleted ourselves. Are you a woman of faith who also happens to be divorced? I've been developing a brand new program that will give you the tools you need to manage your thoughts and emotions, grow your self-confidence so that you can take risks and do things you never dreamed possible, and so you can build happy, healthy relationships with other people. Did you know none of this good stuff depends on your outward circumstances or your past? You can generate the life you've dreamed of all by yourself, and I'm going to teach you how through online classes and transformational coaching. Are you ready to take your new life to the next level and fly higher? Learn more and get on the waiting list at joinflyinghigher.com. So there is something else that I have noticed in some church communities, um, and it, it does seem to vary depending on the church and the, de- the denomination, the dynamics within a particular religious community. Um, but unfortunately, there are some dynamics that do seem to pull in people who enjoy wielding power over others and then misuse it. Um, and one thing that I have seen show up before, you know, we were talking about those simple childhood messages of putting others first not being selfish, you know, thinking of others before we think about ourselves. And one area that I have seen gaslighting show up within the church community is that sometimes those very simple childhood messages become dogma to the point where if you question anything, if you try to develop adult thinking, adult nuance to some of these questions, like what does it mean to give without completely depleting yourself? Is it possible to care for others without having to destroy yourself in the process? Are there some of these teachings that have become problematic over time or that are no longer helpful or are actively harming someone? And unfortunately, it sometimes happens that church leadership may gaslight congregants that ask those questions, may question their faith or say, you're misinterpreting that or you know, you're weak in your faith if you don't want to be selfless. And I've seen some real damage done um, and some real pain caused by congregants who, you know, would have wonderful hearts, wonderful giving hearts, and who say, like, I am giving to the point where I'm, like, running on empty, and then I'm being told that I'm being selfish to say, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. Yeah. That's, oh, that's another really, really great example that I think a lot of people can relate to. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm curious, can you tell us a little bit about your workbook and why well, I guess this whole podcast explains why you wrote it, right? You wanted to help people who are dealing with this. Were you seeing a lot of people in your practice that were struggling with this issue? Yes, absolutely. My, my practice is almost entirely made up of people who have experienced emotional abuse, often within their families, often from a narcissistic loved one or an emotionally immature loved one. And I've also worked with many clients who've experienced pain from their spiritual or religious religious family. Um, Mm. Some of them with the same kinds of gaslighting that we've just talked about with the simplified childhood messages, or it's not okay to question anything. Um, And so I wrote this workbook with these clients in mind so that they would have a resource to help them combat some of this problematic thinking. And so they could regain their sense of self. 
And I'm holding your workbook in my hands right now. It's excellent. I highly recommend it if you're listening and you are struggling with this or you're living with someone who's doing this to you on a regular basis. This workbook will help you get your power back. I think it will. I think it's incredible. Can you tell us how, why don't you, you know your workbook better than then that you're more, you're very familiar with the workbook that you wrote. So why don't you tell us how how you set your workbook up and what are some of the ways that it will help yes. listeners? So the workbook is divided into three sections. Um, the first section goes into quite a bit of detail, just explaining what gaslighting is, why people gaslight other people, who has been victimized by it, and how it affects us. The second section goes into more um, looking at specific scenarios, how it hurts you and how you can begin to heal from it. And there are about 15 to 20 exercises per chapter to help you actually go through and look at your own life Mm -hmm. and identify how gaslighting has shown up in your life. And then the third section is really devoted to helping you begin to heal, you know, developing self-compassion, forgiving yourself and being able to reclaim your sense of autonomy and power. Yeah, I love that. And I think too, as you work through this workbook, you may be surprised at some of the things that come up that you think, oh, I thought that was normal. I mean, I didn't think it was normal, but I didn't think it was, you know, I didn't realize that it had a name or that it was, that it could actually be identified as a pathological behavior that was having such a tremendous uh, negative effect in my life. And, but it's so important that you have those, those uh, light bulb moments because you can't fight a problem that you're not aware is actually happening or that you're not aware that it's happening to the degree that it's happening. If you think, if you go into battle and you think, oh, I'm going to fight against a, you know, I'm going to fight against one other person in a hand, in a hand, in hand combat. And then you go into battle and you find out, oh, it's actually, I'm actually fighting against 50 people and they're all pointing guns at me. Those are to- two totally different battles. So you want to know what battle you're in so you know how to strategically fight that battle. Yes. Yes. And I, I think I know for some folks who've experienced gaslighting, especially when it comes from someone that you love or trust, you know, a family member, a partner, your religious community, the idea of fighting back feels so hard. It feels like so wrong to fight Um, And for those folks, I would encourage you to think about this is protecting yourself. Mm -hmm. This is not allowing yourself to be abused. It doesn't mean you have to hit someone back. Right. It means you don't have to keep taking body blows anymore. Right. Say no more. Well, and fighting in this, I like to think of fighting in this scenario as not, we're not actually going after somebody and attacking them in return for them attacking us. We're just, all we're doing is standing in our reality, standing in our, our experience and our perceptions and validating ourselves. That in and of itself is there, though that other person is going to say, oh, you're attacking me simply because you choose to stand up and actually exist in the world. So they're going to make that mean that you're attacking them, but that's also gaslighting. They're gaslighting you saying you're attacking me when all you're doing is saying, no, I saw it this way. Yes. And do you know, there's actually a, there's a word for that, that specific way of doing gaslighting. Have you ever heard of the word Darvo? I have. Talk about that. 
Yeah, so DARVO, it, it stands for um, Denial, Accusation, Reversing Victim and Offender. And it is a specific type of gaslighting where if you assert yourself or you say, no, that's not how it was for me, um, they will accuse you of attacking them. The goal of that is to get you to back off, to say, oh, no, that's not what I meant. No, I guess you must be right. I didn't mean to attack you so that you will stop asserting yourself. Yeah. And I think it's, it's really important to know when that's happening, if there's someone in your life that does that, because it can really flabbergast and fluster you if someone accuses you of attacking when all you're trying to do is reinforce your truth. Right. Which is why it's so critical, I think, for people, for, for, for all of us to be able to see ourselves as separate people from, and to get out of the heads of, we, we see ourselves like through their eyes, I think too much. Mm -hmm. And all we are in their world is a Lego character in their little universe. And we see ourselves as the, you know, the way they see us, they see us as a little Lego character in their universe. And then we see ourselves like that. And we're not, we're a separate person from them. They can totally, they can totally Darvo us. Mm -hmm. They can do that. That's perfectly fine. But that we don't have to make that mean anything about us. It means nothing about us. All it tells us is it gives us a little more information about them and their tactics of control and manipulation. Yes. Yes. And this, I, I do talk about this a lot in the, the chapter of the book about boundaries. But I think it's so important to know that just because someone does something doesn't mean you have to fall into the same pattern. Right. And in the same vein, setting a boundary with someone doesn't mean you're telling them you have to stop doing this or you can't be like that. What you're saying is you're an adult, you're another person, you can make your own choices, you have autonomy that way, and I have the choice not to engage in the same way that I have been. Yes. I can yes. choose differently, and if you continue to do this, I probably will. Yep. That's really the key, is seeing yourself as an adult and then... and letting the other person be an adult, even if they're acting like a child. They're, you're an adult, they're an adult, you all get to make your own choices. And I think that is empowering in and of itself. Yes, yes, absolutely. Well, this has been a great interview. I really appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to come here and share this stuff with us. And for those of you who are listening, I'm going to, in the show notes, I'll include links to her book on Amazon. Is that the main place that they can get it? Is Amazon or? Yes, you can buy it on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, bookshop.org. You can even order it through Target. Okay, awesome. So many places to get this workbook. I'll also include links to her website and other things that she has to offer so that you can learn more about this problem and how, and also as well as, and most importantly, the solutions that can help you be set free from the gaslighting that's going on in your life. So thanks again, Amy, for being part of the Flying Free Podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Natalie. I really enjoyed our conversation. Yeah. And for those of you who are listening, thanks for joining us. Until next time, fly free.